0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. For the rest of us, we'll go ahead and look to God's Word. You can open up to Luke chapter 10, if you will. We're going to look at verse 27 to start with, and actually we're going to look at a lot of other verses as well. For those of you who haven't been with us, we just went through five Sermons, five lessons on what the Bible says about depression. Very systematic and comprehensive, really, from a biblical point of view, leading to a conclusion and a culmination. And so today's sermon in your bulletin says what the Bible says about joy, but technically it could actually be what the Bible says about depression, part six. And so now we bring a resolution to this. Problem, this malady, this issue of human life called depression. If you've missed any of the previous five sermons and you want to get the full picture, then I would encourage you to uh, get the previous sermons which have been made available on our website because then today will make a lot more sense. It all goes together. Uh, it will make sense, but it will just be more of a complete picture. I trust for you today. So what the Bible says about joy or really how to deal with depression from a biblical point of view. So let's go ahead and talk about that. I also would warn you or encourage you that don't feel like you have to write down everything I say because there's just going to be too much that I say, unless, of course, you take shorthand and you're very fast at writing, which some of you are. So you might want to take uh, short notes. I'm going to give you a key verses. You don't have to turn to all the Bible verses because we're actually I'm referring to a lot of Bible verses. So I'll give you the reference. If you just want to write down the reference and look at it later, that's fine. But listen carefully is the most important thing. And um, what the Bible says about joy or the solution to depression is not simplistic. There aren't, it's not on the overhead today and it's not in the bulletin because there's too much information. There's too many points. Why? Because depression is so complex and humans... complex. This problem is complex. There's no simplistic solution. The solution is complex. So let's go ahead and see what the Bible has to say about joy, or let's go and see what the Bible has to say about the solution to depression that we've been talking about. We did determine in all of our scripture reading that what a person needs who is depressed or dealing with depression, confronted with depression... We'll start with what they need, that person. Whether it's you, and you're just in the, the valley for a long period of time, or a valley at all, and you need help as a Christian. What a person who is depressed, what they need, primarily, I think, are three things. Someone who is depressed needs joy. Actually, that's kind of the opposite of depression. We talked about that. One of the definitions of depression is someone who lacks true joy. So to re- to get out of depression... Their joy needs to be restored. So someone who's depressed, what do they need? They need joy, they need peace, and they need hope. Those are the three things. Actually, the first thing they need is hope, which hopefully will bring them peace and joy. So Scripture is very clear. Some people say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about depression. Well, I will tell you this, the Bible talks a lot about hope, peace, and joy. And we've seen a lot of that. So a lot of these Scripture references today are explicit in talking about how to attain or have or preserve or regain hope, peace, joy. You do that, you're dealing proactively in a biblical healthy way with depression or distress in your life. First, I want to briefly define joy, peace, hope because the world, the unbelieving world, the unbiblical world recognizes those terms but has very different definitions than what the Bible says. So a definition of joy... I'll give you a simple definition first, then a more complicated, biblically full definition of joy. So the simple definition of joy is biblical happiness. That's it, biblical happiness. Uh, Happiness is not a bad word if you're a Christian, but it's understanding what biblical happiness, that's very different than happiness that the world defines. It's very shallow, superficial, uh, fleeting, Contingent upon external things, circumstances, contingent upon emotions. It's conjured up by the human will. All those things are the exact opposite of biblical happiness. So here's the longer definition of biblical joy. Joy, according to the Bible, is a divine happiness, a divine, it came from God, a divine happiness in the heart and spirit. So it's internal. A divine happiness in the heart and spirit, not based on circumstances, not based on emotions. And it's not based on anything external, but it is based on the unchanging divine promises and eternal spiritual realities. Simply stated, true joy is a gift from God. Joy is a gift of God given only to Christians. So if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, if you're not a Christian, you can't know what true joy is, really, from a biblical point of view. So joy is a gift of God given only to Christians and is appropriated by the Christian as they walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit in their life. I know it's a mouthful, but it is informed by many verses in the Bible that talk about What joy is from God's point of view. So that's joy. Biblical definition of peace is a supernatural... Peace is a supernatural... There it is again. It comes from God, not from us. Peace is a supernatural inner calm and contentment resulting from a true relationship with Christ. Because before you were a Christian... You had no peace with God. You were an enemy of God. God's wrath was abiding on you, on me. Then, when we came to know Jesus Christ personally, we had peace and friendship with God. That's where a true definition of peace starts. And then, hope. Biblical definition of hope it is a supernatural confidence from God. Again, it's supernatural, the origin of it. What is hope? A supernatural confidence. Again, it's something we can't conjure up on our own. It's supernatural. Supernatural confidence from God based on His promises. Hope always has to re- refers to something that is always future. Hope is always in reference to something future, something you believe about the future based on what God has said about it. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, uh, faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these is love. Well, why is love greater than hope? Because there is no hope when you get to heaven. Did you know that? And there's no faith when you get to heaven. They're gone. Poof. Because faith and hope are realized when you get to heaven. The only thing that remains is love in heaven. That's why Paul said that. So hope is future-oriented. And it's uh, based on God's promises And this confidence, the supernatural confidence results from faith in God's Word. So what does a person who is depressed need? They need hope. And how do they get hope? They get hope from faith. And where do they get faith? They get faith from God's Word and no other source. That's very important because Romans 10, 17 is clear. Faith comes by hearing the Word of Christ. That's it. Faith comes one way. Spiritual faith. Faith produces hope. Hope undermines, deals with, overcomes depression. Faith only comes from the Word of God and the truth of Scripture. It doesn't come from going up on top of a mountaintop and yippee or reading the Chronicles of Narnia or anything that makes you happy. Faith doesn't come from anywhere else other than God's Word. And that's going to kind of be a theme as we look at the solutions to depression. So that's the first point I wanted to make is what is somebody who is depressed? What do they need? They need hope, they need peace, they need joy. Another component to peace is the opposite of anxiety, to be settled in your heart. Because a lot of people who have depression, they've been overcome with anxiety and worries of the world and fretting. And they're just heavy hearted by all the anxieties of life. And as a result, they can spin out of control and end up in depression. So you've got to deal with anxiety and worry and fretting if you're going to deal with depression. And at the heart of dealing with worry and anxiety and fretting is having peace. So what does a depressed person need? They need hope. They need peace. They need joy. And so now I propose a biblical solution. And I will say that the biblical solution, I'm going to kind of anchor that on the basis of Luke 10, 27, where an inquirer comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' answer is this in verse 27. Jesus answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God, With all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And I I just want to zero in on five key words there that Jesus used. Love, heart, soul, strength, mind. This is really a definition of what a human being is. All the components that make up and constitute a human being are defined by Jesus here. And there are implications from every single one of those. So how did Jesus view humanity? Here's the important point. Jesus did not view a human being one dimensionally or superficially or myopically as the end result of a long process of biological evolution. And so now all you are is just a mass or an overgrown amoeba with a bunch of chemicals flowing through you. And you're simply perceived from a physical, medical point of view. Because that is really how the secular world views humans and their problems. And as a result, that's how they diagnose human ailments many times. And as a result, that's how they give prescriptions or cures to humans. Because they view human beings as one-dimensional. Primarily as a byproduct of evolution, pretty much negating bypassing all these things that Jesus said were true about complicated human beings, and they perceive humans as strictly a physical entity, a medical entity, a physiological, biological ent- entity which is made up of a bunch of chemicals and hormones and electrical currents. And that's, that's really true. And as a result, it is not uncommon if you have depression or are battling with that and you go see a doctor who has that kind of evolutionary, humanistic worldview, it is not uncommon for that unbelieving doctor to say, oh, you have depression? Here's a pill. Why are they doing that? Because they view humanity as simply a byproduct of evolution and one-dimensional. You're just strictly a physical component and being not much different than dirt or a tree. So you're only physical, and therefore the solution must be physical, so here's a physical pill to deal with your physical hormones, which will solve your depression. And that is very superficial, that's one-dimensional, that is deficient. That is not going to solve the problem of depression because they're not addressing the human being as a holistic human being as God designed them and made in the image of God and was defined by Jesus here. Here are those five points again. Just from those five, Jesus defined a human being with the terms that He used recognizing that every single human being, whether they're Christians or not, When he said, love God, Jesus was saying that every human being was a moral creature. I could go on with other things, like he's also implying that you're a volitional creature, unlike animals who operate on instinct and an ethical creature and a personal creature and on and on it goes. But just I want to emphasize that Jesus is saying that every human being is a moral creature. And when you're dealing with depression, you need to deal with the moral elements involved as well. Not just the medical, physiological, physical. So that's the first thing. Uh, Jesus says human beings are moral. And then he goes on and says, uh, love God with all your heart. Jesus is saying that human beings are emotional beings. That is huge as it plays into depression. Depression is not exclusive or separated from the reality of human beings as emotional beings. So when you're dealing with depression, you've got to deal with the emotions of humans. So Jesus is saying humans are Moral, they are emotional. Human beings are also, from Jesus' point of view, he says, love God with all your heart and with all your soul. What is Jesus saying? Human beings are by very nature inherently or innately religious and spiritual beings. Secular evolutionists deny that most basic reality. No, there's no such thing as God. You're not a religious being, or religion's not really important, or we know that Freud, the inventor of psychiatry and psychology, was an atheist, And hated Jesus, hated the Bible, hated Christianity, and that's how he lived his life and developed his medicine. And Jesus said, no, at the core, all human beings are religious and spiritual. When dealing with depression, you need to consider the spiritual and religious components that play into why a person is depressed. So Jesus says every human being is moral. Every human being is Emotional in every human being is spiritual. And Then he goes on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus is saying every human being is a physical being in all that that entails. Every human being is made in the image of God after the likeness of Christ's glorified resurrected body is what that means. Our destiny is resurrection glory. And in the meantime, we are real, physical human beings, and all that that entails, and all the intricacies therein. And God knows that better than anybody. He knows that better than any physician. After all, he is the great physician, is he not? That's what Isaiah says about God. So he knows our physical ailments and struggles and trials. He knows that we live in a physical world that is trying on us, and he's sensitive to that. He cares about that. And when we're talking about depression, we need to tend with the physical. And that's why sometimes biblical counselors get a bum or bad rap when people say, well, he's a biblical counselor or a New Thetic counselor or a name counselor, so he doesn't care about the physical and he thinks medication is illegitimate and you just got to deal with the spirit. That is not true. Because Jesus, who knows humans better than anybody because he made the first human, said that every human being is a moral creature an emotional creature, a religious creature, and a physical creature. And then finally he says, love God with all your mind. Jesus is saying that every human being is an intellectual, rational human being. So when we deal with depression, when somebody comes and talks to me or sits in my office and says, Pastor, i got problems with depression. I don't just say, here's a pill. Because the pill can't address the physical element. But I realize, man, I've got a very complex human being made in the image of God sitting before me. Wow. This is a trial. God, help me. Give me your wisdom. Enlighten my understanding. Holy Spirit, lead me. I've got to diagnose this person as a holistic, complete, multi-dimensional, variegated, complex creature made by God. And the answer is not going to be easy or simplistic. And I've got to view them as a moral being and as an emotional being and as a religious being and an intellectual and rational being and also as a physical being. And I'm probably going to need help in the diagnosis of some of these areas because I'm not an expert necessarily in the physical realm. I might need the help of a physician who also, by the way, has the same worldview that I do about humans made in the image of God. So hugely important in terms of dealing with humanity from God's point of view. We can't be simplistic. Simplistic. So, what I propose to you now is a biblical suggestion or game plan of how to deal with depression. And it's not one dimensional. And it's not crisis management. It is holistic. Hopefully, it's comprehensive. Every single one of these principles comes right out of the Bible. It is complex, it's also preventative. When somebody comes up and says, I have depression. Well, here's, a, here's some Ritalin. That is not preventative. And the Bible talks about preventative measures. So here we go. And so, like I said, you can take shorthand. How do we deal with depression in the life of a human being? Well, number one, uh, what does a depressed person need? They, need? they need hope and they need joy. And I addressed this last week, Ephesians 2, Ephesians um, 2. The only people who really have have hope in this world are Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you don't have hope. You don't have eternal hope. You don't have hope beyond the grave. You don't have hope regarding your sin that's going to condemn you and take you to the grave. You need hope. And it only comes from Jesus Christ and his gospel and knowing him personally. Hope is the byproduct of salvation in Jesus Christ. So point number one, how do you deal with depression? Get saved. Really, that's it. That's the answer. Get saved. Romans 5, 1 through 5 turn to Romans 5 this will be one of the few that we actually look at it is so important Uh, or maybe maybe you're a Christian maybe you think you're a Christian well I'm I'm saved well Paul said examine yourself he told all of us to do that go ahead and boy you better make sure you better fill your spiritual pulse and light of scripture makes you really huffing and puffing and that you really are a Christian Uh, Romans 5, 1 says this, therefore, and he's talking to Christians, therefore, having been justified by faith because you have been saved and born again and you truly know Jesus Christ. When you believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ at a moment in time that happened, you became a Christian at a moment in time through justification or salvation. As a result of that, we have peace with God. See, do you need peace? There it is. Peace is a result of salvation. Verse one. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt. There's joy. Different translations translate that word differently. Some say we rejoice. This says we exult in the hope. There it is. There's the three words in three, two verses. As a result of being a Christian, we have peace. We have joy. We have hope. What does a depressed person need? They need all three of those things. You can't have it unless you're saved, unless you're a Christian. If you are unsaved and not a Christian and you're talking to me about your problems of depression, I can only help you in a limited, temporal way. But I can give you hope. I can give you the gospel. And if you embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and become a Christian, then you can have this supernatural, ever-abiding promise of hope, joy, peace that only a Christian can experience by believing the gospel so what is the gospel the gospel is not just believe in jesus uh, the gospel is not well i accepted jesus in my heart that's part of the gospel that's an incomplete gospel to become a christian you need to believe in the gospel the gospel is the good news it's a complete message and the message is this god made you god made me every human being in his image because of adam and Eve's sin we have inherited sin and sin has separated us from god our holy creator as a result, when we're born, we are enemies of God. We need somebody to come and intervene and save us from our sin. And God sent Jesus Christ from heaven into the world as the God-man to do that very thing. Jesus came on a rescue mission 2,000 years ago. He was God in a body, lived a perfect life for 33 years, willingly went to a cross as He determined in eternity past to die and get punished on that cross, to be executed as a criminal for not sins that He committed, but for sins that we committed and deserve death for and jesus welcomed that and he died on the cross and got punished by god the father and jesus absorbed the wrath of almighty god as a substitute for any sinner who would believe in jesus christ as their substitute then jesus was buried he rose again the third day he ascended back into heaven and he reigns as lord of the universe today and is wooing and is calling sinners all throughout history all over the world that they might come to to know Him, believe in Him. And the way you do that is, first of all, you repent of your sin. You recognize and admit that you are a sinner and I am a sinner. God, I am a sinner. I am lost. I am dead in my sins. I have no hope. I have no future. That is reason to be oppressed. And God, I need you to save me. I can't save myself. Lord Jesus, please save me. And as the man, the publican, the sinner in Luke, beat his chest and just simply said, God, be merciful to me, The sinner. So the gospel starts with repentance and recognition of our sin, that we are evil and wicked to the core. And we need a Savior, and only Jesus Christ can save us from our sin. If you believe that and you pray that and you admit you're a sinner and you ask Jesus to save you from your wicked, evil sin that condemns you to hell forever, and you understand that He's the God-man, that He is sinless, that He is the Savior, that He is eternal, that he's the only one that can save you, that He is the judge of the universe and all eternity and every living soul, and that you must bow the knee to Him and ask Him to save you, He will. He will graciously, mercifully save you, and then you will be adopted spiritually into His family, and you will now be a born-again Christian justified, and as a result, you will be given many wonderful blessings, three of which are hope, peace, joy. So how do we deal with depression? It starts with getting saved. Number two, uh, if you are a Christian and you got, you're dealing with depression, you need to confess your sin. Psalm 51. He just put Psalm 51. That was David. He committed adultery. He was hiding his sin. He was running from God and he had a horrible nine months and he was in a state of depression month after month after month after month and he was losing weight and he wasn't sleeping and he wasn't eating and he was getting physically sick and then finally he was exposed and he admitted, I need to confess my sin. And so he did. He confessed his sin in Psalm 32 psalm 51 and one of the things he said in psalm 51 when he was confessing his sin is he said cast me not from thy presence O lord and don't take your holy spirit away from me restore unto me the joy of my salvation so his joy was robbed as long as he had unconfessed sin in his life and that's true of any christian if we have unconfessed sin that we are harboring and hiding in our life that's going to rob you of your joy and you are susceptible to to depression. So you want to deal with depression? Examine yourself and ask the Holy Spirit to examine you to see if there is sin that needs to be dealt with in your life. It'll smother your joy. Number three, after get saved, confess your sin is drink in the word. Drink in the word. Read the Bible. Take in the Bible. Listen to Bible teaching. Listen to the Bible. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. Meditate on the Word of God. Listen to good Bible teachers. Listen to it in your car, everywhere you go. Scripture's clear about this. We read uh Romans fifteen four couple of weeks already i'll just read it again to remind you this is what bible the bible uh this is what the bible says about scripture and how powerful it is and how it gives us hope when we read scripture for whatever was written in earlier times the old testament was written for our instructions as christians so that as we read the scriptures we gain perseverance and through perseverance the encouragement of the Scripture. we get encouragement when we read scripture as christians because it's living it's the living word of god and we get perseverance, we get encouragement, and as a result, we will have hope. What does a person who's depressed need? They need hope. Where do you get hope? From Scripture. So, you're down in the dumps? My first question to a Christian that comes to me, oh, I'm dealing with depression, I'm having a hard time, I can't get rid of this depression, I will start inquiring very quickly, tell me about how your Bible study time. Tell me about your devotion time. When was the last time you had your nose in the Word? What is your plan for reading Scripture and meditating on Scripture? Oh, I haven't read my Bible in three weeks. Wow, that's depressing. No wonder you're depressed. Yikes. Get back in the Word. That's food for your soul. That is the milk of the Word. That's the meat for your soul. That's what gives you hope and joy and peace. It's, that is how God speaks to you. I'm trying to find listen to God, but I'm not reading my Bible. Well, God ain't going to speak to you. God speaks through His Word. So get saved, confess sin, drink in the Word. Number four, how do you deal with depression? Pray. Talk to God. Spend more time talking to God than everybody else about your problems. Start there. That's Romans 12, 3, among other passages. Pray. Talk to God. Wrestle with God in prayer. Tell Him all of your concerns, all of your struggles, all of your problems, all of your frustration. He knows it anyway. Tell Him anyway. Cast all your anxieties upon the Father in prayer. And the promise in Romans 12 is one of the byproducts that results from prayer, intense biblical prayer with God is hope. God will answer your prayer. He'll move in your soul. He will give you hope. So you can't have or overcome depression and distress in your life without ongoing communication to God in prayer. Uh, number five, what else do we need to do? We need to ask the Holy Spirit to comfort us in times of distress. Hold, the Holy, Jesus said in John 14 that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. What is somebody who is in distress or who is depressed? What do they need? They need to be comforted and encouraged, don't they? And the Holy Spirit is the resident comforter who lives in the Christian. Can you imagine that? That is amazing. Before you go to a human to get comfort, first go to the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And literally what he meant by that is the Spirit of God will live in you, Christian. And the resident comforter is always there at your just your breath. Pray to him and ask him to comfort you and ask him to enlighten your eyes so that you might see how He's comforting you. And the number one way that the Holy Spirit will comfort you, this is very important, is guess what? He will speak through His Word. He will speak through Scripture. He will speak through the Bible. You can't get away from Scripture and all this. I want to hear from the Holy Spirit. Then you better get your nose in the Word. Because that's what He uses. The Holy Spirit speaks through biblical truth. He is the comforter. Number six, we need to walk in obedience. You want to deal with depression, you've got to walk in obedience. Because what does a person who's in depression need? They need joy and they need peace. Paul said in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, For the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit gives as a gift on a regular basis, are the following virtues or attitudes. Love, joy, peace. And that verse is given to Christians, people who know Christ, And it's talking about living a life of obedience. And if you are walking in obedience, doing the things that God requires of you, basic things, and you're just trying to obey with a sincere, humble heart, God will give you the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which include joy and peace. So if you're harboring sin or being disobedient, yeah, I understand why you're depressed, and rightfully so. It's true of all of us, but... Walk in obedience, and then God's going to help you overcome depression in your life. Next one, number seven. Control your thinking. Go to Philippians 4. Somebody who's depressed needs to control their thinking. By the way, this principle is an overriding truth that pretty much everything else I say from this point on is a corollary of this truth. A person who has a problem with depression, primarily they have a problem with their thinking, it is not primarily a problem of their hormones their hormones and the chemicals in their body could play into it. It could be a variable of it. It could exacerbate the problem. It is not the root of the problem. Usually, the problem has to do with their thought life and their thinking. So if you look at Philippians 4, uh, rejoice in the Lord, have joy. Well, it's easy for you to say, Paul. Well, then he tells you how you can actually do it. He He gives a command in verse 4, and then he gives the strategy of how you can actually have joy in verses 5 through 9. Well, I don't feel like rejoicing. I'm not happy. My life is miserable. I'm depressed. And then Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, well, actually what you need is peace. You need supernatural peace from God in order to have joy and be happy and rejoice and fulfill, verse 4. And he says that in two different verses. Look at Philippians chapter 4. In order so that you can rejoice, you've got to do the following. Or you've got to secure the following. Verse 7 says, the peace of God. You can't rejoice if you don't have the peace of God. And then verse 9, the God of peace. You can't rejoice if you don't have the God of peace. Those are two very important things. The peace of God and the God of peace. Without those, you will have no joy. Without those, you can't rejoice. Well, how can I rejoice, Paul? Well, do the following, uh, starting in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Stop worrying. What does that mean? Stop worrying about yourself. Literally, stop thinking about yourself and all of your problems. Do we all have problems? We do. We all have problems. Stop worrying illegitimately. We should be concerned about legitimate things and plan accordingly. He's talking about sinful thinking regarding problems. And many of these are future, theoretical, and sometimes unrealistic. And the point is you're preoccupied in yourself. You're totally self-absorbed. So in this passage, Paul, one of the strategies that Paul got from God is get your eyes off of yourself and get them on other things and then all of a sudden you won't be thinking about your problems anymore and as a result, you won't be depressed anymore and you won't be anxious. When you are not thinking about your problems, you're thinking about something else and when you're thinking about something else and not your problems, then you don't have anxiety anymore because you can't think about more than one thing at a time. Try it. See, I told you you can't. It's amazing. So stop worrying. But instead of thinking about your problems all the time, in everything, by prayer, what's that? Worship God. Stop thinking about your problems. Start thinking about God in prayer. If you pray to God and talk to him, you can't think about your problems at the same time. Get your eyes off self. Get your eyes on God. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing but by prayer with supplication. What's that? That's thinking about others and praying for them. Instead of thinking about your own problems, start thinking about somebody else's problems and pray for them. Because there are people always that have bigger problems than we do, aren't they? So Paul's saying, quit thinking about yourself, but think about God and think about other people and their needs. And pray accordingly. And get this. When you do, well, can I think about myself, Paul? Because we all love ourselves. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Yeah, you can think about yourself. But when you think about yourself, don't think about your problems. Take a vacation from your problems and think about what? He says this in the middle of verse 6. With thanksgiving. What is that? That is literally calculating every blessing you have in your life that you got from God that you need to be thankful for and that I need to be thankful for. Starting with my salvation, my forgiveness of sin, my eternity in heaven that's a promise from Him, knowing Jesus Christ personally, the gift of prayer, the treasure of the Word of God, great Christian friends, uh, the forgiveness I have of all of my past where I deserve death and hell forever and condemnation in hell, and God has relieved me of that. I mean, you can just go on and on and on and on and on of thanksgiving to God of what He has done for you, Christian. And when you're thinking about all those... Count your blessings one by one. I should write a song. Count your blessings one by one and give thanks to God. And when you are thinking about all those blessings, guess what? You can't think about your problems that are weighing you down. You cannot think about two things at the same time. Try it. See, I told you, you can't. I have tried this for years. So God says, quit worrying. Think about God and worship Him. Think about others and pray for them. When you think about yourself, think about how God has blessed you and be thankful. And that will diminish your anxieties, at least in that moment. If you do that, there is a result and a promise. What's the result and promise? Well, oh, and then at the end of verse 6 is you do all that, then tell God about your problems. It's not ignore your problems. God doesn't say just forget it, get over it. He doesn't say get over it. God is not a stoic. He cares about every need we have. And so you take your list of all of your problems and you cast them in the lap of God and you say, God, here are my problems. Here's my anxieties. They're weighing me down. God, help me. Help me. But you put it in the proper order at the end. If you do that, the promises, verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, this is supernatural peace, will guard your heart, that's your emotions, and your mind, that's your thought life. That's The core of depression. Controlling your thoughts and your emotions. And you need to be smothered with the supernatural peace of God that guards your emotions and your thought life. That is the answer. And then the God of peace also will be with you. That is amazing. Control your thinking, which takes us to number eight. Don't act on emotions or control your emotions. Well, it's hard to control our emotions, isn't it? How do you control your emotions? By controlling your thought life. How do you control your thought life? Uh, philippians 4 the passage i just read do not act on your emotions do not live by your emotions you're supposed to live on principle emotions follow suit and come later by god's design It's not ignore your emotions we're not called to be stoics or vulcans or robots and machines emotions are real emotions are a gift from god they have their place they're totally appropriate the god man jesus had the full gamut of emotions so don't act on emotion. Number nine, get your eyes off self. Philippians 2, Christian. Think about everybody else. Think of others' needs before your needs. It's the whole point of that passage. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off yourself. Think about others. Think about others. Think about others. One of the keys of overcoming depression. People who are thinking about themselves all the time, That boy, the thought of me thinking about you, if I thought of you, about you all the time and your problems, I would get depressed. If you thought about me and my problems all the time, you would get depressed. It's easy. There's a lot to get depressed about. So Paul says, get your eyes off of yourself and on others. And that's a beautiful act of love. And as a result, it plays into dealing with depression in a proper healthy frame of mind. Uh, number 10, get your eyes on God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Get your eyes off of the earth Lift your eyes up and gaze at heaven. It's Colossians 3.1. Get your eyes fixed on Christ. He is the prize. He's where we're headed. Keep your eye on the target. Fix your eyes on God. Fix your eyes on heaven. Fix your eyes on Christ. Colossians 3.1, number 11. Don't be self-absorbed. 1 Corinthians 4.3. 1 Corinthians 4.3. Don't be self-absorbed. Don't be thinking about self all the time. Don't be too highly introspective. 1 Corinthians 4, 3, Paul said about himself. He said, you know, people judge me. You know, I really don't care. I mean, not ultimately. As a matter of fact, I don't even judge, I don't even try to judge myself because I can't. I'm not God. So I'm I'm not preoccupied with evaluating myself all the time because I am finite, I am sinful, I am biased, I'm overly conscious about certain things I shouldn't be. So we need to do the same. Don't be self-absorbed and self-focused and Overly introspective and judging yourself all the time it 's easy to just muster up all kinds of guilt when you do that there's plenty to be guilty about don't do that uh, number twelve know yourself be honest about yourself evaluate yourself properly this is this is really important this is practical uh, romans twelve three Judge yourself with sober judgment. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think incorrectly. But think about yourself and evaluate yourself properly and soberly if you can. And there's a lot of ways to do that, but here's maybe a, a helpful way to do it. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever taken those personality tests. I'm a golden retriever. I'm a turtle. I'm a lion. I'm You know, whatever. I forgot what I was. I said two weeks ago to my wife, I'm a golden retriever. No, you're not. You're a bulldog or whatever it was. So... Because we took the test together and she remembered and I forgot. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, what, what do they do now? What am I supposed to be like? What did that fortune cookie say I was? Wait, what if, I'm a Virgo. What did the signs mean again? Yeah. Or the disk analysis or the Myers-Briggs. I mean, there's so many personality. Blah, 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 blah. Here's an easy way to do it. In terms of your personality, I just put it down to four things. Are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Are you a realist or an idealist? It's pretty basic by nature and people who struggle with depression routinely they in terms of their personality they are many times a pessimist pessimistic person and when i'm counseling people i might let that person know are you a pessimistic person Uh, and sometimes they'll say yes i am or sometimes they'll say no i'm not i said well i've been listening to you for an hour and you sound pretty pessimistic (laughs) you're you're depressing me actually but where it starts as a sober evaluation of self, and if you know that you are a pessimistic person, then you know that you are vulnerable and susceptible, and you might need some help. What do you do? Well, hang out with optimistic people, Christians, because there are peppy, optimistic Christians, and I've talked to Christians who said they haven't really struggled a whole lot with depression in their Christian life, and I believe them. They have that constitution as a gift from God. That's that's awesome. Um, and then there's the realist. I I like to call myself a realist. I mean, I could be optimistic. I could be pessimistic. Depends. I'm subject to my emotions as well. And then there's the idealist slash perfectionist. I I don't understand you people. The idealistic, perfectionistic people. I think those people need some remedial theological training in the curse that is on this world. You are demanding and requiring things that will never happen until we get to heaven. Why Why are you putting such a high standard on everybody? You're making everybody miserable, including yourself. So... Judge yourself with sober judgment. Uh, 13. Don't live in the past. You start rehearsing. You had a horrible life growing up, a horrible childhood, abuse, and whatever else. You know, you're not the only one. It's amazing how many Christians I know who got saved. They never talk about their horrible, wicked, evil, abused past. They're just happy in Jesus today. As a matter of fact, they just want to forget the past. And there are others who rehearse their entire history of how horrible it was growing up. Before they got saved. And it actually affects their mindset now. That is not healthy. So here's a Bible verse or two for you. Uh, Philippians 3.13, Paul said, Forget the past. Forget it. All of it. Good, bad. It's not reality. Here's a quote for you. History is not destiny. History History is not even reality. Not for the Christian. Not in light of Second Corinthians five seventeen. Because if you have had a horrible past for forty two years and you were abused to the hilt, and then you came to know Jesus Christ, Scripture says, God says that you have become a new creature. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Forget the past. Live in the here and now as a Christian, and look to the future with Christ in the hope and promises of God. That's a Christian worldview. Don't live in the past. Number 14, get a realistic view of the world. Some people struggle with depression because their standards are unrealistic. You live, that's Genesis 3, Romans 8, and many other places. Christian, you live in a cursed world, a fallen world, a warped, evil, messed up, dying, decaying, fleeting, temporal, unimproving world. Really, and it lies in the lap of the wicked one, Satan, according to First John 5. So if you're putting all your hopes and treasures and aspirations in this life, don't do that, Christian. You will be miserable. Our hope needs to be not in this life, but in the next. Uh, Number 15 is embrace trials in reality. Embrace the problems of life. Don't try to smother them out with medication or smother them out with alcohol or smother them out with other drugs or by dismissing it. Oh, no, I'm happy, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not realistic. Embrace the realities of life. Uh, James chapter 1. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Any trial that's overtaken you, it's not, un, it's not uncommon to you, it's common to everybody. Be, work through the trial. Embrace the trial. Don't dismiss it or ignore it or pretend it, it's not real. Number, which takes us to number 16, part of embracing the realities of depression, distress, and trials in life. Uh, number 16, cry. It's okay to cry and sometimes you've got to cry. And Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time to cry and mourn. There are commands in the Old Testament where people were commanded by God to, to weep and wail and mourn and cry. That is healthy. Just because somebody's crying and mourning and weeping, we happy Christians, overzealous Christians, we've got to fix it. Oh, we got to stop them from crying. Oh, here's a happy pill. That, that isn't healthy. That's not a realistic view of the world. That isn't what God wants us to do. I remember, so there's a time to mourn when my good friend Bill Rare died in that head-on car accident. And Pam, we're that whole family. That just, it it rocked my world, it devastated me. And soon after that accident, a well-meaning Christian who kind of knew the family told me right after the accident, well, at least they're in uh, heaven, yippee! And I'm like, wow, that was not helpful. So we need to embrace the trials, we need to cry. 17, enjoy life, that'll help with your depression. Enjoy life. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything. There's a time to dance, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance. There's a time to have fun. The whole, one of the whole themes of the book of Ecclesiastes is to enjoy life. God has given us all things to enjoy. And if they are wholesome and they are good, then enjoy life. Have fun. Go to Chuck E. Cheese. I do. I love it. Play Ultimate Frisbee. Go to the beach. Man, have some fun. Don't be so spiritual and miserable all the time. Number 18. Number 18. Oh, listen to good music. Listen to good, godly music. Colossians 3.16. You know, we read that verse in Colossians 3.16 where it says, Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual praises. And and then we hear, Oh, God is the audience. God is the audience. God is the audience. Which sounds like a great answer. And God is the audience. But also, if you read carefully, it says that other believers are the audience. Because it says, Sing to each other songs, hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our heart. So part of the ministry of music... And the overflow of it is it encourages other believers as we sing together praises to our God. He is the audience and other believers who hear that music, they are blessed. And so listen to music, listen to godly music. It'll... It'll cheer your soul. I think of King Saul in the Old Testament when he, it literally says he was depressed and oppressed by a demon of depression and he was down in the dumps more than anybody and he didn't take Ritalin. He had David come and play on his harp and sing godly hymns to him and godly songs and it cur- encouraged Saul and brought him out of depression. Man, I, I crank, when I drive my car, I crank the music up. Godly, good music. And it will minister to your soul that. Music team this morning ministered to my soul. Some of these songs we're singing, I was just encouraged with joy. Nineteen, uh, get around happy people. Don't be around negative, pessimistic, miserable people only. Get around happy, upbeat, optimistic, godly people who encourage you. That's Ephesians four twenty nine, among many proverbs. Having a merry heart based on the blessings of the words of others, so that's encouraging one another and stimulating them to love and good deeds. So get around godly people who have great faith in God, who are looking to the future and are encouraging with their words. It'll do your soul wonders. Uh, number twenty, exercise. Yeah, I did. I said exercise. First uh, Timothy four eight, physical discipline is of some value. You're depressed? Go jog two miles. Get on your bike. Go swimming. Go on a hike. God made you a physical being. Jesus said, love God with your strength. Love God with your physical body. It helps. It alleviates stress and anxiety. It's very practical. God knows that. God cares. Exercise is good. It is of some value. It's a little value, but it's some. And it will help. Give you proper balance in life. Exercise. Proverbs also says, don't be a slugger. 21. Get a physical. A medical physical. Literally. So that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Some of these counselors might be doctors who've been gifted by God and even Christian doctors who can actually give you a physical and find out if there is anything physically wrong with you that is detrimental to you and even plays into your depression that is legitimate, it's validated, it's tested, it's physiological. Get a physical. 1 John two. 1 John three, 2. First John 3 2 doesn't say get a physical, but John the, the Apostle is concerned about their physical health. God cares. Twenty-two, if you are currently on medication for depression, then get a second and third and fourth opinion like you do with any other medical issue. That's just wise. And if you are on medication for depression and all the doctors involved are unbelievers, then they have a worldview that is not consistent with your biblical worldview. So try to find a Christian doctor who can also give you a physical and give you a second opinion from a different worldview. And I remember I shared this with a fellow Christian who was dealing with lifelong depression. They were on several medications, and I just simply said, maybe you should see a Christian doctor or a Christian psychologist and see what they say they did. And they had a Christian medical doctor that was different, and it, it changed their life. And they have communicated this to me even recently many times. Thank you for giving me that simple suggestion. Uh, and then finally, uh, be future-oriented. And again, this has to do with your thinking. So turn to Philippians Three, and this is where we're going to close as we have communion together. Philippians chapter 3. So if you're paying attention, that was 23 things. I told you it was a lot. And the point is, we're not being superficial or one-dimensional. Uh, it's a multi-dimensional approach. Comprehensive. The full court press in dealing with this complex issue of depression. And this last one, be future-oriented. Don't think on the past. Have a f- eternal perspective. And starting with Philippians 3, verse 20. Our citizenship. If you're a Christian, this is true of you. Our citizenship, our home, is not the United States of America. It is not California. It is not the northern continent. It's not planet Earth, ultimately, right now. Our ultimate... Final citizenship is in heaven. That's where we are going. From which also we eagerly wait. Are you eagerly waiting for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? He is coming, verse 21, who will transform, literally metamorphosize, the body of our humble state, our dying, lowly, weak, hurting, decaying bodies. And Jesus is going to change them, transform them. Metamorphosis, literally, He will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. That is coming. That is a reality. That is exciting. That gives me hope. How about you? Amen. The Lord Jesus is coming, and as a Christian, we pray, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus' other messages or resources, please visit gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.